You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and a sleepy Jonathan Mayo. I shouldn't say sleepy. He's exhausted. He's tired. He just got back from Phoenix from the Dream Series where he had uh, what sounds like a very good time at that event, and we will talk about that plenty. In fact, we have a special guest today that will be joining us, Latroy Hawkins, longtime major leaguer, was one of the many, many former big league stars that were in attendance as instructors helping out at the Dream Series over Martin Luther King weekend. We will talk to him, and Jonathan will talk a little bit about his experience there. Before we get into that, we are going to talk about the first 2023 top 10 prospects by position list. The lists are here. They're coming out. We are often asked, when are the lists coming out? When are the lists coming out? They're coming out now. The top 10 right-handed pitching prospects and top 10 left-handed pitching prospects lists are out as we speak. The remaining top 10 by position list will come out over the course of the next uh, week and a half, uh, recording this on a Tuesday. And then next Thursday, all of these lists culminate with the top 100 prospects list, the big the big boy. Uh, show on MLB Network, uh, Thursday, the 26th of January, 7 p.m. Eastern. You can watch Jim, Jonathan. Who else is on that show with you guys? It'll be Scott Braun and Steve Phillips. There we go. Uh, they will break down the new edition of the Top 100 Prospects list. And we also want to talk a little bit about some international signings. Last week, we had Jesse Sanchez on to preview the opening of the international signing period, uh, which was on Sunday, the 15th of January. Uh, we now know who has gone where and for how much. We'll talk about that a little bit, and then we'll wrap up with a question in the mailbag. All right. Let's get into the list, guys. A lot of work over the past several weeks and months uh, putting these lists together. And the way that we always do this is to put out the top 10 by position. Uh, We do a list for catchers, righties, lefties, first base, second base, third base, shortstop, and outfield. Got the first couple out. And uh, I guess we, we, I don't know, always or typically go in this order. We start with the pitchers. We started with the right-handers. And uh, wow, what a what a great list to start with. I mean, the the right-handed pitchers top ten list is always a good one in that they're always uh, all ten of them are in the top one hundred prospects, and it's one of the stronger lists, uh, one of the stronger positions when looking at the top one hundred list. But this one seems to be particularly interesting. Yeah, I, I think. And Jonathan, I don't remember another year like this. I think you could make a case. For four different guys to be the top right-handed pitching prospect in baseball. Um, And it's not because there isn't one standout. It's because there's four standouts. I mean, you have Andrew Painter, who had the best year of any pitcher last year, was very spectacular for a 19-year-old, and has great stuff and probably the best control and command of anybody on the list. You know, he barely edges out Grayson Rodriguez, who's, who's been the number one pitching prospect on our list for a while, who 
you know, I think has a little bit deeper repertoire than great than than Painter, and he throws a bunch of strikes. And maybe the the one hickey was he had a lat strain. Although I think the Orioles were more cautious than alarmed last year. Then you have you know the guy who I've been in love with forever, Yuri Perez, who is just very precocious with his stuff in command. And I think with his size and extension, his pitches just have unusual shape. And then Daniel Spino, who I think is the clear fourth guy because he didn't pitch a lot last year because he had a knee issue. And then when he was rehabbing that, a shoulder issue, and the Guardians were cautious with him. But I think we talked on last week's podcast, the, the best outing I've ever seen any pitching prospect ever throw was last spring when I saw Daniel Espino just carve up some reds on the backfield with a, a fastball up to 102, 103, and a slider up to 93, and a curveball in the upper 80s. And I, I just think it's really really unusual to have four guys that worthy of being the number one. I, I don't remember a year where we, we, we might've had, you know, pitcher A versus pitcher B, but not four guys like that. So I think the only thing I would take exception to is I, I don't think Espino belongs quite in that conversation just because he didn't pitch last year. Um, I think he needs to go out and, 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 you know, do it for a lengthy period of time. Now, pure stuff wise. Yes. But I like, I, I don't think you could make an argument that he should be the number one prospect on this list, especially given how good the others are. So maybe that speaks to the first point. Like those three are unbelievable. And, you know, it's not even like one and two with Painter and Rodriguez. It's almost a tie for first and Painter got the slight edge. Um, and then, you know, I think it was interesting when we were getting feedback for the top 100, um, you know, I think originally it was Painter and Rodriguez kind of back-to-back, and Perez was a little bit behind, but we got a lot of feedback from people telling we needed to move Perez up. So I agree with you. I think those three uh, are separated themselves a little bit. And I think Espino is going to come out this year and show that he absolutely belongs in, in that conversation. But I'm not, I'm not quite ready to put him in that, you know, on the, on the Mount Rushmore of right-handed pitching prospects just yet. No, and that's fair. And I, and I meant to qualify. I, I thought I did, but maybe I didn't. They're like, if he had been healthy, I think he would have been right there because I think he he might have the best pure stuff. Quite possibly, yeah. But he made four starts last year. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's there is a ton of talent at the top of our right-handed list for sure. So you talked about the top four: Painter, Rodriguez, Perez, Espino. Uh, next up, Taj Bradley of the Rays, followed by Bobby Miller of the Dodgers, Gavin Williams of the Guardians, Hunter Brown of the Astros, Mick Abel of the Phillies, and Gavin Stone of the Dodgers. Some other interesting things about this list, uh, to me, the, the fact that we, we should see nearly every one of these guys this year in the big leagues. Um, I guess it's, it's possible we could see all 10 of them, but nine of them have ETAs of 2023, Mick Abel, mm-hmm. the only one who has a 2024 ETA. Also, the guys at the top of the list are just huge. Uh, their average size is 6'7", 220, I guess. We have 6'7", 215, 6'5", 220, 6'8", 220. Yeah, Grayson Rodriguez is the two guard on this team. Yeah, right? I mean, and a, and a left-footed Field goal kicker was that? Didn't he kick a, a field goal like a forty-yard field goal with his left foot last year? Sure. Uh, <laughs> don't recall this. But, but <laughs> we'll go with maybe. Sure. Yeah, you don't remember that? Yeah, I'm pretty I'll, sure. I'll, uh, I'll rewrite his report to yeah. include that. Um, yeah. So two guard 
uh, right-handed <laughs> pitcher and place kicker. Oh, no, there you go. Uh, J- uh, Jason, we-, we will give you props. Confirmed. J- January 4th, 2022. Yeah, we just celebrated the one-year anniversary. Exactly. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez tweeted out a pitchers aren't athletes and it showed him kicking a 40-yard field goal. Wow, it was 40. Huh? Maybe he could uh, – Wow. That, there may be an opening for a place kicker. With his, le- with his left foot. Um, meanwhile, somewhere Adley Rushman is just laughing at him. Yeah, his battery mate, right? Uh, yeah. Well, well, Adley once tackled, you know, uh, Christian McCaffrey on a kickoff return, Oregon State versus Stanford. So there you go. Didn't he set the state high school record for longest field goal? Like sixty-three yeah. yards or something. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like like forty yards. Anyway, <laughs> mocking Grayson Rodriguez. Um, I wanted to say, I mean, if we were going to continue to talk about the 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 top guys, and um, you know. As you mentioned, Grayson Rodriguez had been, had been our number one guy for a long time, and you know when we when we were lining this up, so people know our process, you know, for our top one hundred, uh, the three of us, myself, Jim, and, and Sam Dykstra, come up with our own lists, and then we kind of combine and average them out and look to see where things are, and then we move things around and send it out for feedback. Uh, I think Jim had Painter one ahead of Rodriguez, and Sam and I think had it the other way around. Um, and what really pushed me wanting to flip it, I think we all agreed is that executive survey that we, you know, we broke down at length last week, uh, that painter won that, I don't want to say handily, but by a good amount, considering that he Rodriguez and Perez all got a lot of votes for best, uh, best pitching prospect in baseball. That to me was the kind of clincher that painter needed to, Kind of leapfrog over Rodriguez, uh, but I think, you know, as you said, like any of the three of them, we, we could almost shuffle the deck, and, and I would be fine with that. And one other interesting thing about that, your, the survey you did, Jonathan, was you had the topic of which organization does the best job of developing pitching prospects, and it was the Guardians followed by the Dodgers, which makes sense to me as well. Hmm. And we have two Guardians on this top ten in Espino and Gavin Williams, and a guy who didn't miss by much in Tanner Bybee. And we have two Dodgers on the list in Bobby Miller and Gavin Stone, who the Dodgers have done a wonderful job of developing. And Ryan Pepio did not miss the list by much. So that was that, that also made me think of your survey, hmm. is that both those organizations ha- had two righties, you know, the Phillies did as well with Painter and Abel, and, and also had a third who did not miss by much. You know, and, uh, another thing I noticed about this list is that it is almost entirely comprised of new names from the list a year ago. I believe there's only one carryover from last year, which I think speaks to the fact that a lot of the guys on last year's list were also high level. um, And most of them graduated from the list. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, I guess there were two two left over from last year, uh, Rodriguez and Yuri Perez, um, Shane Baz, Jack Leiter, Hunter Green, George Kirby, Edward Cabrera, Max Meyer, Kate Cavalli, Jackson Job. Uh, so some of those guys still uh, prospects and rookie eligible, but uh, several of them have graduated. Um, do you guys know, there are only three, there are three teams, three organizations that have never had a right-handed pitcher on our top 10 right-handed pitching prospects list. Um, 
I would quiz you, but I can't imagine that you would know who those organizations are. But if you want to take a shot. The Angels. Not the Angels. I was going to say the Angels, too. Oh, no. Shohei Otani. They've, yeah, they've had, oh. they had one, and that was it. Yeah, a bit of, he who never pitched an inning in their minor league system. The Oakland, the Oakland A's. Uh, the A's have had a couple. Red Sox, Cubs, and Giants have never had a top ten right-handed pitcher on our list. We would have gotten there eventually. Yeah, you were you were uh, whittling it down. <laughs> um, and the the A's had only had two, so you weren't far off there. Nice work, Jonathan. I think Cade Horton will make the list next year. So I think Cade Horton will end the Cubs streak. Going to break the string. Yep. All right. Let's move on to the left-handed pitchers list, unless there's anything anything else you guys want to cover on the righties list before we move on to lefties. That was pretty good. Chop that up pretty good. Yeah. All right. Okay. Left-handed pitchers list. At the top, we have Kyle Harrison of the Giants, Ricky Tiedemann of the Blue Jays, Ken Waldachuk of the A's, D.L. Hall of the Orioles, Dax Fulton, of the Marlins, Jordan Wicks of the Cubs, Matthew Liebertor of the Cardinals, Jake Eater of the Marlins, uh, another Blue Jay, Brandon Barriera, and then D-backs Blake Walson. This list seems uh, a lot different than the right-handers list, and not not just because of the fact that they throw with a different hand. Yeah, I, I kind of oversaw this list. We divide these up, and I believe, uh, I think you did the same research, Jason, with, with only, we'll, we'll give away a state secret here, only four of these guys, first four guys will be in the top 100. That's the lowest we've ever had on a list, and that even goes back to days when we were doing top 50s. We never had as few as four lefties on even a top 50. Now, I do think, I mean, I do think that's more cyclical than anything, because you mentioned Brandon Barriera, who, who came out of this year's draft. Last year, or last year's draft, I keep forgetting, we're in 2023 already. Got to write my checks and get my podcast info straight. Uh, but um, I do think last year's draft has a chance to be a very good draft for lefties. You had, you know, besides Barriera, no Schultz went in the first round to the White Sox. Robbie Snelling of the Padres and Jackson Ferris of the Cubs got first round money on the high school side. I really am just fascinated by Cooper Jerpy, the Cardinals, who just seems like he, his pitches. Guys just don't see his pitches. He doesn't throw hard, super hard, but guys don't hit him. He throws a lot of strikes. I think he's going to be a quick mover for the Cardinals. And then we talked last year about all the injuries and suspensions affecting the college crop. But once Connor Prelip of the Twins and Hunter Barco of the Pirates and Reggie Crawford of the Giants are healthy and Carson Wisson and also with the Giants, his office suspension that cost him the whole year at East Carolina, we might see in a year or two, you know, when we have the top 10 lefties, seven or eight of them are from the 2022 draft. It's interesting that you bring up the draft because you look at these two lists and Barriera is the only 2022 draftee on either list, which, I mean, I, I, I didn't go back and like look to see, you know, but I, I feel that in previous years, there's been a little bit more of a draft impact in the initial list. I mean, our future lists you know, we'll certainly have, uh, have, you know, some of our positions will have more 2022 draftees on it, but it's a little surprising to me that, that there's just the one. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I do think even though we don't have a lot of top 100 guys, we do have a number of fairly established guys. I mean, if you look at the, the, the six guys who aren't in the top 100, um, you know, Dax Fulton got to double A. Jordan Wicks has gotten to double A. Libertor has pitched in the big leagues. 
Jake Eater got to double A before he blew out his elbow. And I don't remember where Blake Walston finished last year. I think, I think he might have got double A. I too. think also double A, yeah. So, like, we have, while they aren't necessarily on the top 100, you have a bunch of these guys are on the verge of the big leagues. And I think that's maybe why they got the edge over so many of those yeah. intriguing draft guys. And, and like I said, I mean, the, <laughs> those college guys, besides Cooper Jerpy, None of them really pitched last year, or none of them certainly pitched a full season. So they come with some question marks, but but just an interesting draft class, I thought last year of lefties. So you talked about uh, you know how four guys, or at least three guys, were in consideration to be number one on the right-handed pitchers list. Was there much discussion uh, at the top of the left-handed pitchers list as to who was number one here? I mean, not for me. You know, with all due respect to to Ricky Tiedemann and Ken Waldachuk, who I think are very good. And I think we give now regularly kudos to Keegan Matheson for pointing out that Ricky Tiedemann was opening a <laughs> bunch of eyes last year, and he then backed it up. Uh, Kyle Harrison, uh, to me, is the easy easy choice here. He's just so good and is the only lefty who I think belongs anywhere close to the conversation of best overall pitching prospect uh, you know, with those righties, you know, I, I, you know, for me, f- finishes a maybe a tick behind the, the 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 top three there, but he's not far off. So this one to me was a, a little bit easier for for us to determine. Yeah, I, I think you could argue, not looking at track record, that Tiedemann might have a better third pitch and a little bit better control than Kyle Harrison. But I mean, Kyle Harrison has gone out and flat out dominated. 212 innings in the minors. And Tiedemann, Blue Jays kind of kept him limited to to no more than five innings. He only made 18 starts last year. We haven't seen how the stuff holds up deeper into games over a full season. I mean, Kyle Harrison just has some crazy numbers. I mean, he led the minors in strikeouts per nine innings last year at 14.8. He led the minors in strikeout percent. He struck out 40% of the hitters he faced last year. Um, He had a swing and miss rate of 41% with his fastball. In double A, like which is an absurd rate. I mean, he's just done it longer. He's more established. So I think that you know Ricky Tiedemann is very very interesting, but Kyle Harrison's track record made that a, a relatively easy choice. And I, I, I got to think like I'm just sticking. We'll we'll talk about more of the position list next week. That might have well. I, I guess there's some other positions where the choices were pretty easy, um, but but that one was fairly simple. Yes. And then it it feels like to me anyway that there's a bit of a a gap between Tiedemann at two and Waldachuk at three. Is that is that fair to say? Yes and no. Although I think Waldachuk is a little underrated as a whole. I mean, he's got three pitches. He's dominated for two years and missed a ton of bats. He struck out a guy per inning in his big league debut with a bad big league club. I mean, Jonathan, he's in your purview yeah. now. Former Yankee, I had him, you know, got traded to the A's. But, like, I, I think we, we have him accurately ranked in a good spot on the top 100. But I've, I, I just feel like he's a little underappreciated as a whole, if, if that makes sense. No, I, and it's funny because, you know, when guys get traded, especially at the deadline, uh, you know, when you're the recipient of that player, you're not really sitting and, like, digging into everything that he's about and then being able to do that. This go round, I had more appreciation for him. Um, so I, I agree with you, uh, Jim. Maybe maybe Tiedemann, you know, has a higher ceiling. Waldachuk's floor is pretty high. Not that he doesn't have any ceiling, by the way. He's got you know 
he's got really good stuff. I mean, this is a guy with, uh, you know, a, a fastball up to, to 97. Uh, you know, his slider has gotten better. Um, he's got a very good changeup. He even has a decent curveball. So we're, it's a legitimate four pitch mix and he throws enough strikes, you know, uh, six, four, uh, there's a uh, kind of a funky arm slot. So people don't pick it up. So, I mean, he's really good. So I, I while I agree that Tiedemann was, you know, ahead, you know, and it wasn't like, oh, we went back and forth. Um, I think that, uh, Waldachuk shouldn't be undersold, and he's going to get a chance, you know, right out of the gate. I think this year to show what he can do. You know, and he's listen, he's twenty five, and Tiedemann's twenty. You know, so you know, in, in terms of trying to project, you know, Waldachuk's going to show us right now. Um, you know, and Tiedemann maybe may a little while before we really know exactly who he who he's going to be at the big league level. Yeah, the Yankees do an excellent job of pitching development too, and they really remade Waldachuk a lot. I mean, he kind of fell to the fifth round of the 2019 draft because he tried to add velocity and messed himself up as a junior at St. Mary's. But he was more of a two-seam guy. They now have that four-seam Jonathan that you mentioned was up to 97 a lot, and it's got really good shape and carry, and guys don't hit it. They, you know, The Yankees love the sweeping slider. They, they helped him totally reimagine his slider and pro ball. That can be a plus pitch at times. The changeup's gotten better. It's got really nice fades. So, I mean, he does not really resemble the guy you would have seen in 2019 in the spring in St. Mary's. And, I mean, he, the last two years in full season ball, he struck out 300 guys in 205 innings um, and then struck out almost a guy in inning in the big leagues last year. So, yeah, it's like he's – I mean, I guess you can bet on anything these days. And, I mean, I know wins aren't important, but, like, if you told me that he led all rookie pitchers in wins this year, mm. it's not impossible because he, he can miss bats. All right, so the top 10 right-handed pitching prospects and top 10 left-handed pitching prospects currently out and on the site, mlb.com slash pipeline. Check out all the lists as they come out over the next uh, 10 days or so leading up to the top 100 prospects list. That, again, coming out on January 26th on MLB Network at 7 p.m. Eastern. We will take a break, and when we come back, We're going to talk to a longtime major leaguer and current twin special assistant, LaTroy Hawkins, who was out at the Dream Series over the past few days. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mayo. Um, closing day and a half, I guess, of the, of the Dream Series over Martin Luther King weekend. And I'm happy to, to welcome into the podcast longtime big leaguer Latroy Hawkins, who I feel I see at every single event. Um, and I said, you know, it's about time that you and I sit down and actually, you know, record a conversation as opposed to just having one. So thank you for for taking some time. No, anytime, Jonathan. And you're right. We do see each other at a lot of amateur events, and I don't think I go to a lot over the course of the year, but it's fun. I love the amateurs. Um, you know, I was around the, the pro game for so long that I completely, like, disconnected myself from the amateur game. And now that I'm retired, I've been working with MLB, with Breakthrough Series and the Dream Series. I get a chance to, and Team USA, get a chance to, you know, see some of the top uh, amateur guys in, in, in our country. Yeah, I mean, we don't even have time now to talk about how you threw a baseball for a living longer than any human really should be able to. It's but, old news. Uh, <laughs> it's old news, but I did want to, I wanted to ask you, like, sort of how you sort of got back into this. You know, I know you work for the for the Twins, um, and and you, you, know, you would go see some players and things like that. Was that your kind of entry point into involvement in, in the amateur side again? Um when I took the job with the Twins, you know, the special assistant, the baseball operations, I, um, Larry Corgan, longtime scout, well, well respected among his, his peers. Uh, he called me, he was like, hey, you're gonna be a special assistant, you need to learn how to scout. So that was my introduction. Like, I gotta get my butt out on the road a little bit and learn how to scout players. And, mo- and when you're scouting players, I'm not scouting professional, I'm scouting the amateur game. So that was my, my wake up call from Larry. And I actually, I actually went to my scout at my first game with him in Missouri against somebody in Fort Myers in spring of 2017. And the first report I wrote was on Tanner Houck, the first round pick with the Red Sox. So that was my first scout, I mean, first report I've ever wrote on the first round. It was pretty, you know, pretty eye opening what we're looking for. And it's just all the intangibles that we have to sift through and, you know, makeup and talking to coaches and talking to people, you know, who has some way touched this kid. It could be the guy at the grounds crew at the University of Missouri, you know, just doing all your homework, making sure, you know, what you see is, is actually what, what you're getting. And you were telling me, because part of the Dream Series, Hunter Green, who came through this program and, and obviously ended up going to the, the Reds number two uh, in that draft, but you spent a lot of time with him as an amateur because he was very much on on the Twins board that year, but, you know, it, it, it went a different way. Uh, what are your recollections of, of watching well, Hunter as an amateur? Um, I just remember I hadn't been to, been on the circuit that long, and following him was like following the Beatles because it was intriguing to everybody because he was a high school kid who was a legit two-way player. He played shortstop, he had home runs, he had for average, he got on the mound, he was throwing 102 miles an hour. It was the real thing. And I can say like, I hadn't seen anything like that from the amateur position because I would play for so long, but it was intriguing to everybody because, you know, this kid was, he was a big deal. He was, he was a big deal. It was a big deal. And just being part of it, you know, getting to know mom and dad and spending some time with him and just understanding like it, it was real. I mean, Hunter is is the way we see him today. That's how he was then. He was just a, a mature kid for to be a 17, 18 year, very mature. And as you can see, he's taking that maturity and continue to manifest, you know, becoming 
you know, a big leaguer, um, an incredible human being. You can see that by what he did for these kids at the Dream Series. Um, a lot of guys, they don't have to come out, the big leaguers. We, we would like them to come out, but everybody in that clubhouse know that you, know, you get busy, and those guys take him and Dunn, they take time out of their busy schedule, Edwin Jackson, out of their busy schedule to come and give back, to pour some of their knowledge into uh, this young gener- this next generation. And that shows that says a lot about Hunter. Yeah, I think uh, it's great. I mean, the amount of big leaguers who are here sort of instructing these players is great. But I would imagine if I'm if you're 17 years old, having Hunter Green come is is it even more eye opening. I mean, I think all these players, you know, know and respect guys like you, or even guys like Edwin Jackson, you know. But getting a, a Hunter Green or a Joe Adele or a you know any of these younger guys, I would imagine the impact is is even larger. It is because I think the first guy that that came through, I can't remember, but I know Chris Archer came through couple years ago, probably 19 before the pandemic, and talked to the kids. And they were, man, they were locked in. And then Edwin came when he was still playing. And so they've had, they've seen, you know, some of the big leaguers come back and, you know, I guess just spark something in them. Like, hey, when I get into this, I'm going to come back and, and speak with the kids and, you know, let them know how my experience, how my, my process went and, and my experiences in professional baseball. And, you know, you're right. The kids see us. They, they know we had a long baseball career. Most of them didn't see us play on TV. Maybe a couple saw me play on TV, but, you know, it doesn't resonate with them unless they can actually see that person doing it this day and age. And that's what those guys coming back, that's what they bring that we don't have. Edwin Jackson may be the only guy who played for more teams than you. I think him and, um, (laughs) ooh, what's the other kid? It's another pitcher that played for a lot of teams. But, yeah, Edwin. Yeah, it was up there. He took the two around Major League Baseball. Yeah, but yeah, I know you start getting the the white and the beard, and the and the, the kids don't don't pay as much attention. No, maybe, not, so. at all. not at all. Um, wear some cool shoes, right? right. <laughs> so you you know, I think I you know, senior. We talked about the PDP League, and and you know now here at the Dream Dream Series, it's one thing to get involved in amateur baseball because you that could go in a million different ways, whether it's scouting for a team or travel ball or and you know. All, some of these huger showcases. This is clearly a mindful decision that that you and other players have made because of the of the mission of events like this. Can you talk a little bit about what it's been like for you to kind of help grow the game among young black players? Um, being an African American ball player, you know, it's, it definitely touches you know touches you dear because I didn't play on a team with a lot of blacks throughout my career. A lot of people that look like me and you know i didn't have an issue with it because i can you know i'm i can navigate in any any circle i'm i'm i'm, I'm very comfortable in my skin but just knowing the numbers that they're steady dwindling and you know just knowing that League baseball could actually do something about it and when manfred said i'm going to do something about it i felt you know a moral obligation to be part of it I had a more obligation to be a part of this. And it's just satisfying because we see where baseball is going. It's gotten so expensive. A lot of kids, parents can't afford what it costs to play on some of these top travel ball teams. They can't. It's it's almost impossible. It's impossible. You got to have, your parents got to have a, a, a nice salary job. And then they, one of them got to have a side job, a side hustle to pay for your kid to play baseball. And it didn't used to be like that. And when it started that, 
you know, there's always going to be somebody getting left behind. And in the United States, it was always the minority players getting left behind. And, you know, now when I, you know, I get into it, people on Facebook, which I shouldn't about, ah, black kids not playing the game. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. Yeah, they are. They just wasn't getting the exposure. Now they're, they're still playing the game and they're getting the exposure. And that's the thing that Manfred, Tony Regans, Dale Matthews, that was a vision, making sure they get the same exposure and getting quality coaching. And that's where, you know, the retired big leagues come in. We're giving them quality, quality coaching, quality instructions, and whatever we teach them, they can take back and continue to work on it and pass it along to some of their teammates to hopefully make everybody better as a collective group. One of the things that I think was really interesting about this event, that, and this is this is my first time covering this, hopefully the first of many. Well, I've seen you before here. Not at okay. this one, not right. this one, but um, is the emphasis on pitching and catching where there's like a, a, Boy. a, a, a huge dearth. I mean, it's throughout baseball. Um, I was talking to, to Zion Rose yesterday. He's one of the, the better catching prospects in, in the draft class of 2023. And he was just saying that because he's been doing this every year, he gets like a, a dose of confidence because everyone's telling him, oh, he shouldn't be a catcher because black athletic kids don't catch. And he comes back at all these things. And he said, he doesn't, he even said to me, he's like, I'm not sure that I'd still be catching if it weren't for, for these events. So like, have you seen like that kind of impact? I mean, this is now what the sixth one of the, of the dream series. So you've got guys, I mean, Hunter Green's in the big leagues. You've got, you know, Harry Ford, another athletic catcher came yeah. through here was a first round of the Mariners so like I feel like the impact's already been you know we're starting false. to see yeah, starting we're to starting see it. to see that impact it, we're starting to see it like it's not something that's going to be turned around overnight right few kids we got lucky with because they were a little bit more polished did play on some of those travel teams got some of the better instructions but those kids are going to be you know some of those they're going to be fine you know we're trying to tap into those those kids middle of the road giving them instruction so they can meet their full, well, you know, meet their full potential so they can either get a college scholarship, yeah. which is important, or get drafted high enough where they can go ahead and start their their clock, you know, trying to make it to the major leagues. But the catch-a-pitcher thing is so important because, like you said, we don't, you don't see a lot of pitchers that look like us. We're African-American. We don't. And every year I've been here, we've gotten more and more catchers. And the catching talent has gotten much better, a lot better. Mm. So that lets you know kids are seeing what's going on. They know where the void is for African-American kids. And they're not afraid to take on the challenge of those two positions, pitching and catching. And what, you know, and our job is to continue to, you know, build them up, coach them up, give them the necessary tools and continue, not when they leave here, just, okay, well, we're good. No, continue to like, coach them throughout the year. We give them our number. We, social media, we all keep in contact. I'm watching. I always tell the kids, I'm always watching. I'm always watching. So, you have any questions, anything, you need me to talk to your coach, I can have that conversation with you. So, it's just not, it's all baseball, but, you know, we, we're we hitting on everything. And that's on the field and off the field. I, I think, you know, some of the things that's kind of hard to quantify, one is that, like, the sort of, that next generation I think you, you spoke to that, but you're saying like noticing that there are a lot more catchers and they're a lot more talented. So the word is getting, getting out, you know, so that filter down next generation impact is already starting. Yes. And then the other is the sort of 
the the off the field, right? You know, if you're lucky enough, you can play this game professionally and a select few make it to the big leagues and have long careers. But the vast majority over the years of kids that come through these programs, they're not going to play in the big leagues. So those sort of off the field lessons, like you can't really quantify that yet. No. But I would imagine being able to impart some of that life wisdom is maybe more important than here's how to throw a slider. Right. So the best part of this program for me, mm-hmm. and it has nothing to do with teaching them how to throw a slider, working on mechanics, you can have to hit the other way. It's what Tony Regans and Dale Matthews, how they put together the days and what these kids are exposed to. And one of the biggest exposures for them is letting them know that everybody's not going to make it to the big leagues. But here's a another plethora of jobs that you can do in professional baseball. Mm-hmm. Tons of other jobs that you can do that I'm sure these kids had no idea even existed. No idea, because when I was growing I had no idea. I didn't start thinking about front office, so I was like seven years into the major leagues, and I started, how does this fan see the final product, but what goes in the day-to-day to get to this point, to get to 7 o'clock, to get to a 1 o'clock game on a Sunday? Like, what goes into it? There's so many other jobs you can do in, in professional baseball that still have a real impact on your team winning the game. I mean, it's a small impact, but you still have it, and that's what I like about this program. Yeah, I think that's something that, goes unrecognized and then there have been efforts just to bring african-americans into front offices and tell them about analytics jobs and you know and and anything i mean how many general managers are there you know (laughs) so uh so and not that everyone needs to be a big league general manager but i think that's a, a it's a it's a really good point i think my last question for you and i kind of asked you this the other day when i saw you you know you seem to be happy with this this gig for you. I mean, I think you could be a big league pitching coach or a manager tomorrow, but you don't. But you don't. This is audio only. But if you saw him shaking <laughs> his head right now, so that's this. This is like this seems to be like a a good universe for you. It's definitely a good universe. I'm. This is my big dipper right here, man. I I enjoy it. I really do. Managing, I have no desire for that. My desire to be a pitching coach can't say is it's I don't have a desire for it the perfect situation I still got a lot a lot to learn with the analytics and I'm learning more and more every year it's just so much you got to take in and the job's different than it was when I was playing so you just never know I, I would never say no I don't want to be a pitching coach I'm out on that I would never say that but right now I'm so I don't want to say comfortable because when you get comfortable you get stagnant but I'm my job right now keeps me busy enough and keeps my mind keeps me thinking and learning enough that I don't I really don't think about being a pitching coach or all that I don't no not at all all right well it's uh it's always great to see you I'm glad we got to sit down and do this formally and uh we're going to take a break and we'll be back with more on the MLB Pipeline podcast right after this Hey 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and thanks very much to LaTroy Hawkins for taking time to talk to us. Jonathan, I know you enjoyed that interview. It's always a pleasure to talk to mm. LaTroy, and I know you also uh, very much enjoyed your experience uh, attending the Dream Series out in Phoenix for the first time. Yeah, it was uh, it was amazing. You know, I've been fortunate enough to to cover a lot of MLB initiative events over the years. Um, I've never been to anything quite like this. You know, kind of the combination of like really, really talented players. But beyond, you know, this guy's going to be a first round pick kind of thing, uh, just the, the mission behind it is so well thought out and so perfectly executed. You know, it's 80, approximately 80 players, predominantly black, brought from all over the country and across all classes, like from people who will, I kept looking at the rosters and they had like, you know, graduating class of 2026, which is not does not seem like a, a real year in our immediate future, but uh, you know, so there's super young guys all the way up to the seniors that, you know, Jim and I are going to be talking about more and more as the draft comes up. And a lot, you know, a lot of the guys have been doing it throughout, you know, Zion Rose, who I wrote a story about the catching prospect started as a freshman and has come through. And you know what the emphasis of the event is on pitching and catching because the organizers of the event, rightfully, have you know noticed the. I mean, we've talked a lot about, or there's been a lot written about, you know, the the dwindling numbers of black players in, in the big leagues, but particularly at those two positions, you you just don't see them. So the fact that there's been an emphasis on there, there was a lot of talented catching there. Mike Sosha was there to work with them, and they were, uh, you know, the the players you know, to a man were soaking up the information, you know, so beyond, oh, this guy helped himself out draft stock wise and things like that. Cause it's mostly workouts and individual instruction. Uh, I, I think trying to move the needle to make the sport or help the sport return to being more in- inclusive and diverse. It, it was, it was amazing to sort of see it unfold over the, the days I was in Tempe. Yeah, I thought it was interesting uh, what Latroy said about you know the fact that you know not all these guys are going to be major leaguers, not all these guys are going to play baseball professionally, but you know there's there's so much there that's off the field as well, and they're they're kind of opening guys' eyes to all the different 
opportunities that there are mm. in baseball, not just on the field. And and I think he said that you know some of these guys didn't you know wouldn't even have any idea about these opportunities. And he mentioned it, you know. Yeah, I mean, listen, the percentages tell you just in general, right? What we all know how small a number of players make it to the big leagues. Period. Um, and you know, there may be a lot of you know this year's class at the dream series who don't even play professionally, but maybe this helps them, you know, find their way to playing college baseball. And to your point, yeah, I, you know, Latroy, you know, who, who works as a, you know, a special assistant to the, to the twins. And, you know, said like, he, you know, he didn't really understand how a front office worked at all until several years into his big league career, but he is hyper aware of not only the 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 lack of diversity on the field but even more so in front offices so being able to bring some of those things to the, these kids as you said who might never have known th- that you could work in baseball in so many different ways is, is huge and you can't even really quantify that yet i mean the, it's been going on for 6 years and yeah that you know guys like Justin Dunn and and Hunter Green, who are both there giving back already, you know, are guys who came through Dream Series and have made it to the big leagues. Um, You know, so there's that impact too, but it's going to be a little hard to to quantify. um, You know, hopefully they'll, they'll keep track of kids who go through this program and then end up working, you know, as scouts or in player development or whatever it is. Yeah, and with all that being said uh, about the off the field aspect, the talent on the field is, I think, better than ever this year. It, there were four of the players there uh, are on our early top 100 draft prospects list for the 2023 draft. Um, and then I, I believe there were several others that were either just off the list or, right. or got some level of consideration. But yeah, I don't know how this compares, Jonathan, to, you know, a standard showcase. I know there weren't games played, so it's a little, maybe a little more difficult for someone to stand out. But we're, who were who some players who who stood out there? Yeah, it is uh, a little different. And I don't have the historical context to know, but from talking to guys like Latroy, um, Howie Kendrick was an instructor there, Jerry Manuel, the talent has gotten so much better. Even talking to Zion Rose, who was very quick to point out, you know, he, he gets most of the attention in terms of catching prospects, but there were a lot of catchers there. And he was quick to point out that he thinks a lot of them are just as good as he is. They just haven't had the looks or the exposure. Things like this certainly help. Um, and not all of them are, you know, from this year, but like to that point, Oliver Service from Detroit. Uh, is another is another catcher from from this year's draft class who, who stands out. You know, there's some really good some really good pitching um, was on hand. I mean, Cam Johnson was on our top 100, and he was there. He threw one bullpen, right? So you, you're not going to suddenly extrapolate, but you know, he, he came out of the gate. I saw him in the PDP league, and he was really good uh, his his first time out, uh, and kind of put his name on the map. And then was kind of up and down for the rest of the summer. Was got kind of fatigued, you know. It was more than he thrown. And he moved down to IMG Academy in Florida. He was in really good shape. And uh, I don't want to take too much away from one bullpen session, but 
it looked really, really good. So I'm excited to see what he does. And he'll get to throw to Zion Rose at IMG the whole time. But um, LJ Mercurius, Cameron Poe, uh, some projectable. Uh, Mercurius is a right-hander out of the Vegas area. Cameron Poe is from Missouri, kind of projectable guys on the mound. Uh, so it was exciting to, to see them. And they could all take uh, big steps forward, I think. Poe is interesting because he goes to the same high school as Nazan Zanatello, who is on our top 100 and also looked very, very good on both sides of the ball and, and workouts. All right. We'll look forward to seeing several of these guys in uh, this year's draft as well as the upcoming years and look forward to uh, this annual event out in Phoenix, Martin Luther King weekend each year, the Dream Series. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about some international signings. Uh, last week, we had Jesse Sanchez on the show, who is our international prospect guru, put together the top 50 international prospects list. Um, we had him on to kind of preview this year's uh, class and the signings that were going to take place over the weekend. Uh, January 15th is the new July 2nd. The signing period used to open on the 2nd, um, got pushed back to January uh, during COVID and has, to this point, stuck. And um, guys, going into this, uh, we had a good idea of who was going where, but it's official now. And uh, at the top of the list, the number one prospect on the list, Ethan Salas, signs with the Padres for $5.6 million. Uh, number two, Felon Celestin, a shortstop out of the Dominican, signed with the Mariners for $4.7 million. Joandry Vargas goes to the Dodgers for a bit over $2 million, another shortstop out of the Dominican. Uh, number four, Alfredo Duno is a catcher from Venezuela, uh, as was the number one pick, Ethan Salas. Duno goes to the Reds for a shade over $3 million. And Luis Morales, a uh, Cuban right-hander, goes to the A's for $3 million. Um, Several other guys down the list uh, getting bonuses of, uh, let's see, a couple over $4 million here. Emmanuel Bonilla to the Blue Jays. Uh, Brando Maia going to the Yankees uh, for $4.35 million. So to kind of put this in perspective, Jim, I mean, you know, it, it's different than the draft, obviously, and how the slot system works with the draft. But when these teams are spending this amount of money on, on these kids, um, they they warrant our attention. They, they do, and it's the money isn't a perfect reflection of like I do think in the draft you see guys fall and get paid. Like we're talking about Kyle Harrison, who went in the third round, but he got late first round money when he came out of high school in twenty twenty. So the draft bonuses, I think, do a pretty good job of reflecting how guys are regarded. I mean, you'll have occasionally a team go way out on a limb for somebody, but they usually reflect the consensus. And internationally, it's interesting because you mentioned all those guys, you know, Vargas, who was number three on Jesse Sanchez's list, only signed for a little over $2 million. Like, like I do think internationally, some of it is building relationships. It's not just who has the most cash or, you know, and, you know, we've talked about this. MLB is looking to change this. At some point we may have a draft, but like, a lot of times these kids commit when they're 13, 14 years old. And, you know, it, it's just a very weird system. But, yeah, I, I, I think you'll see a lot of these guys on our top 30 lists. Um, you know, it, it's funny. We had the, our mailbag question last week was whether Ethan Salas was immediately going to be a top 100 prospect. And 
I got an email just from a, a random fan asking me if Ethan Salas was immediately going to go to number one on the Padres list. And I said, well, you know, Jackson Merrill is pretty good. Um, so I don't think Ethan Salas quite can be number one when, when Sam does the Padres list. But so even though these guys are a long way away, I mean, you look at how many international stars are in the big leagues, how many international prospects are very prominent on the top 100 prospects list. And I think it does make sense. I mean, we usually don't go too crazy on you know running guys way, way up the list. I, I think Salas will be an exception with the Padres um, because their system's a little thinner after all the trades they've made, and, and he's so talented. But um, like I, you know, I always talk about how deep the Dodgers system is when I'm working on their list, and I've started working on their list. And I, I got to put Vargas on there somewhere, I, I think. I mean, he's got a chance to hit for power and average and be a physical shortstop and he gets praised for his instincts and work ethic, um, <laughs> that's a pretty good player. So, yeah, it, it's kind of fun, you know, like digging a little deeper on these guys. I, the, the thing that I noticed that was interesting to me, guys, was that the Cubs landed three uh, of Jesse's top 20 prospects. They were the only team to get three of the top 20. I'll, I'll butcher the pronunciations, uh, pronunciations on these names and, and the pronunciation of pronunciation. <laughs> um, but uh, they signed uh, Dominican shortstop Dernish Valdez for uh, $2.8 million. Uh, Cube, uh, uh, Venezuelan shortstop Ludwig Espinosa for $1.5 million. And uh, Dominican shortstop Angel Cepeda for a million dollars. You know, all those guys ranked. Uh, for, Valdez was number six. Espinosa was number 14. Cepeda was number 19. Um, I, I don't know if I'll squeeze all three of those guys on my, my Cubs list because the Cubs list has gotten deeper. Um, but yeah, it, it, there, there are a lot of interesting guys. It's, uh, you know, I, I want to say last year, I don't know if anybody cracked the top 10. Did they, Jonathan, that you remember? Like, I know I had Roderick Arias and he didn't quite make the Yankees top 10. I don't know that Christian Vaccaro made the Nationals top. Maybe he did. Anyway. I think he did it, but it was few and far between. It would have to have been a combination of like a super high level guy, right? On a, in a system that's a little thin. Yeah. I think that's the only time that that, uh, you know, that kind of happens. Which is like, like, again, we said like Ethan Salas, I will, I have no idea where Sam's going to put him exactly. I will, I, I think he's a lock to be in the top 10 for the Padres. But Jonathan, you do the Mariners, you have Celestine. I think they've got what four or five top 100 guys. I don't know that he cracks their top 10. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, he, he, he may not. We're working on that one. Um, you know, I think we do have, uh, you know, a couple of instances where guys will certainly go up. You know, so the A's list is better than it has been. Obviously, they made all these trades, but they got Luis Morales, who was the number five prospect. Uh, he will be pretty high up on the list. And he's also a little bit different because he's 20. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's a slightly different case, but because of their system, um, you know, they also got the guy who was number 40 on Jesse's list, Darling Fernandez. He's not going to crack their, their top 30 just yet. Uh, but a guy like Morales, I think you're going to find somewhere in the upper half of, of the A's list when all is said and done. And, and, you know, Jesse Sanchez will be the first to tell you that this is far from a science. I, I feel like, you know, these rankings are a lot different than the team top 30 prospects list we put out or the top 100 overall prospects. You know, these kids are 16 years old uh, for the most part. Um, they're very far away. Um, and, you know, Jesse likes to point out that Fernando Tatis Jr. was, I think, number 30 or number 29 or number 30 uh, on the list uh, the year that he was signed. Uh, and there are several other uh, examples of that. But this year... Uh, among the top 50 prospects, 
every team signed at least one of them and no team signed more than than three i think there were three six seven teams that signed three of the top 50 but it's a you know that seems like it's a, a pretty level playing field in terms of the teams signing the best what are you know the players that are perceived to be the best out there no, I think that's fair. I mean, look, the, the the bonus pools the teams have to deal with now are all very bunched up. There's not a wide range. So it, it's not like before when they had penalties in place where you basically paid a penalty tax. If you went over your threshold, you had to pay an equal amount of penalty tax. And you had some team and, and you were restricted to $300,000 maximum bonuses for the next couple of periods. Teams didn't care. Teams would just go all in on a year and spend you know, 50 million or more to get a huge class and amass talent. And now you can't do that. So I think it is spread out. I mean, you know, for years, Peter Angelos, for whatever reason, did not want to participate in the international market. So the Orioles didn't sign guys. And that's changed the last couple of years, which is why we now see all 30 teams getting it. But yeah, I, I do think with the way the system is set up, you could have the best scouts in the world and know all who the best players are. It's still going to be very hard, especially at the top of the list, to pick off more than one guy in the top 10 or 15 prospects because they're going to command the bulk of your, your signing pool. All right. The uh, sort of tracker, the signing tracker uh, that we maintained on the site is, is up on MLB.com slash pipeline if you want to see where all 50 of those top 50 prospects are headed. Plus, uh, there's an, an addendum at the bottom of the of that article uh, with every player who signed for $300,000 or more uh, to give you an idea of where those guys are going. Uh, there's a team, team by team breakdown there. So check that out. And uh, of course, thanks very much to Jesse Sanchez for all of his uh, hard work that went into uh, not just putting that list together, but uh, you know, getting the good news out yesterday. He said in the story that it's uh, some people call it the international day of joy. It's a, uh, very big day for a lot of these kids out of uh, the Dominican and, and Venezuela, hmm. Cuba, uh, signing contracts with major league teams. Uh, all right, uh, <laughs> Jim, you you stole my thunder here. We're moving on to the mailbag, and I was going to offer to let Jonathan uh, read this one because I know he is a big fan of uh, Edward Julien. Yeah, yeah, he can he can read the mailbag. He can even go first, Jonathan. You, you want it, but he has to go French pronunciation. Oh, oh, I was like, what are you talking about? We're not talking about second baseman. And then I know I realized, yes, this comes from Cote de la Vie. I don't know. I'm giving you a 40 on that one. I'm giving <laughs> no, you a 40 right. on that one. Yeah, it's not as good. I've had more time to, you know, on Edouard Julien. So yeah, I got that one down. Yeah, and I like that you've somehow become our designated French speaker. We're going to find out, by the way, that this guy's name is Cody Bellavo. Yeah, C-O-T-E-Y. First name. Jonathan, you want to go ahead with a question too? Yeah. So since most of the top 10 right-handed pitching list is expected to debut and potentially graduate in 2023, who do you predict will lead this list a year from now? I was hoping you would do the entire thing. In oh, and French, French. now. Oh, come on. So uh, well, here's your answer. You can give us your answer. I want, I want your answer with a French pronunciation of your answer. Uh, well, then I think I would have to pick McAbel um, or McAbel. <laughs> um, uh, he is the only guy on the list who we have an ETA of 2024. Uh, but podcast fans may remember that uh, I also picked him to be our minor league pitcher, uh, pitching prospect of the year in 2023. 
uh, I don't think, you know, I think there's a slightly more than zero possibility. He, you know, he makes it up to the big leagues and somehow graduates if things really click for him. But he's a tick behind Andrew Painter, you know, even though he was drafted a year before. uh, I think he probably starts the year in double A. So uh, needs to work on some command things. But uh, I I know a lot of uh, scouts, you know, feel that he's not that far behind Painter. So to me, Abel is the 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 easy choice, you know, uh, and maybe the only one from from the top ten list, the current top ten list, who will still be eligible. Do you know who I'm going to pick? You're going to pick Tink Hentz. You're wrong, Jason. You want to guess who I'm going to pick? Oh, uh, I feel like shoot. you should know who I'm going to pick here. I'm unprepared for this. Uh, yes, I don't know. By the way, I think like Daniel Espino might still be eligible just because how little he pitched. They may treat him with kid gloves. They could, but but I'm going to go. I'm going to pronounce his name right for the first time in podcast history for me. Chase Dolander of Tennessee. Oh, oh, wow. the top pitching prospect in this year's draft. Wow. I, I just think I think he. I mean, we'll see how the draft plays out. I think he's got a very good chance to go number one overall. His favorite by far to be the first pitcher taken, and I just love. The combination of the stuff, I like it. You know, with a, a fast, it's a lead swing and miss fastball that, that mid nineties, great carry, tight sliders that could be a wipeout pitch at times. It's got feel for curveball, feel for changeup, throws a ton of strikes. He's got size, he's got athleticism, he's got track record. There's a little effort in the delivery. So I, I think, I think, I want to say, I think Casey Mize might have been our top ranked. Pitching prospect, maybe not. Maybe Forrest Whitley was still ranked as a top prospect. I think Casey Mize ranked as a top pitching prospect fairly quickly after going number one. Maybe not in the preseason, but maybe like at some point during that first season in 2019. But I'm going to go with Chase Dolander as the number one pick, or as the number one right-handed pitcher in 2024 entering the season. I like that. So, but but you're. I think you're right, Spino. It's interesting because I could see it going two way. I could see them handling him very carefully, and I could also see if 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 Terry Francona and company get a good look at him and he's fully healthy, saying mm-hmm. we have to have that guy. Yes. So, um, but like he, he's a he's an interesting. I I, I tend to think he's going to graduate, but he's it, he's very interesting. All right, mark it down. A year from now, that's the number one pitcher on the top ten right-handed pitching prospects list. All right. Thanks to Cody Bellevue for that question. And thanks to all of you for listening. That's a wrap for this week's edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.